Before we begin, please note that none of the information in this episode constitutes a recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Hello and welcome to Future Proof, where we talk about digital assets for the modern financial advisor. We have an important and timely conversation for you today talking about what PayPal's entry means for Bitcoin investors. I'm Jonathan Bronstein with Financial Advisor IQ, and as always, we are brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. Now, a quick note before we dive in, we are recording this conversation on Monday prior to the U.S. election. We do not know the results, and any references made should be understood that way. All right, so now let's not waste any more time. Digital payments giant PayPal recently announced that it will enable its 300 plus million customers to buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrency directly from their PayPal accounts. It also signaled plans to make pay- to make Bitcoin available as a funding source for purchases at its 26 million merchants worldwide. Bitcoin saw a 10% gain in a matter of days on the heels of this announcement. But what does it mean for investors in the long term? To answer that question and more, we are once again joined by Steve Kurtz, the head of asset management at Galaxy Digital. Steve, this is big news. It is. Thank you, Jonathan. Very excited to be here to talk about it. Absolutely. All right, 20 minutes. Let's get going. It may seem self-evident, but explain the significance of PayPal's announcement. Yeah, sure. And I think it's hard to overstate the significance because this is about crypto, but it's also about more than crypto. And so from a crypto lens, the bottom line is with this announcement, crypto has crossed the Rubicon. It's now firmly mainstream. Uh, That is somewhat self-evident. And it's partly because you have a $220 billion market cap company that's coming into the space. But more specifically, you have a $220 billion payments company, which, as you says, ha- say, has um, 346 million users. Over 50 million of those are active users on a monthly basis. And of course, that retail uh, uh, network of, of retailers um, globally that are now fully into the space. Uh, I think it's important to, to make the point this is not a bolt on feature for PayPal. Um, I think this move reflects a, uh, a strategy that has other moves behind it. Um, be a, a recognition of the full impact of COVID-19 and where the world is headed, and then see sort of the importance of crypto to both of those. And remember, PayPal's initial mission in the early days was to create an independent global currency. And so this is really coming full circle for the company. So I think on the back of this news, you'll see banks scrambling to catch up. You'll see financial intermediaries paying attention. Uh, and of course, um, central banks and other payments companies plowing forward even faster uh, with plans uh, in and around the crypto space. All right, before I move on, um, you you mentioned, uh, you know, this relating to COVID-19. Just expand on that a little bit. Sure. I I think, um, you know, we've hit on this uh, throughout the series, but um, some of the trends that were already in place are just accelerated by COVID. And that's the digitization of of everything. And and I think that uh, payment providers in particular have been um, thinking about e-commerce trends and and planning for a world that becomes more digital, thinking about disintermediating banks. You know, Facebook has always had a plan uh, to be effectively a retail bank behind 
its large network of users. Uh, that has been challenging for a million different reasons. Uh, the world has kind of collectively realized that that's where it's headed uh, following COVID. And um, people are just much more serious about implementing things that were on a long-term strategy board uh, now to be a much more short or medium-term um, kind of uh, uh, implementation. Got it. All right. So let's talk about PayPal a little bit. Um, does this mean college kids are now going to be using Bitcoin to pay for beer and fantasy football dues? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, what? And, and more importantly, how does how does this drive up the price of of the asset underneath it? Well, they may. I don't know if it's a smart move for them to do that or not. That's, I guess, a different question. I, I should start with from a Bitcoin perspective. Um, Bitcoin's a fully baked product. It does what it does, uh, and people and networks will interact with it however they want to. Um, so the way I think about it for Bitcoin specifically, given that it is a fully baked tech product, any distribution bolt on is a positive to its overall adoption story. As an example, in my personal PayPal account, I keep some small cash reserves. Would I hold some of that in Bitcoin? Why not? It's, it's fungible to USD within the PayPal system. So I don't need to worry about the clunkiness or awkwardness of holding Bitcoin and then swapping it into dollars. So that sort of cross fungibility is really interesting. I think the more interesting story for college kids in beer is that Venmo, which is part of PayPal is literally a verb. And so other payment coins are part of the PayPal announcement and make no mistake, I think others are gonna be added as well, whether that's dollar backed stable coins or um, central bank issued digital currencies. And so part of your question relates to Bitcoin, but part of it relates to how the lanes continue to get sort of refined from the implementation of what PayPal announced. And on some level, that's the bigger picture uh, and something that we can certainly talk about today. Absolutely, and we're gonna get back to that because that's an important point. Um, we talk a lot about Bitcoin as an investment and then we talk about it as a currency. So from PayPal's point of view now, it's arguably a product. What is the effect of bringing this sort of product to PayPal and eventually Venmo's, you know, 350 million plus combined users? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's true that Bitcoin is a product now for PayPal, um, just, just like it's a product for Galaxy with our Bitcoin fund and, and quite frankly, a product and major revenue driver for Square, which has a cash app that, that has really substantial revenues from their, their, Bitcoin, um, their Bitcoin feature. I think the world is big enough and it's early enough in the Bitcoin cycle that we, we just need Bitcoin, we being the Bitcoin community to plug in in more ways. And this is a, a tremendous step forward to that end. Um, in terms of Bitcoin's value proposition, and I hit on this a little bit, but the, the easier it is to access A, uh, the more fungible it is to other assets B, and then the more clear its story is relative to other digital assets, the, high, uh, the higher you'll see the value of Bitcoin go. And so something like this, in my mind, in particular, de-risks the Bitcoin story materially. In other words, a lot of people know about Bitcoin and they haven't, they haven't yet taken the plunge. And with something like this, where it sits alongside dollars with regulated rails to all of these, uh, you know, these, these different uh, individuals and retailers, it says it's not this unicorn asset that you need uh, you know, a Trezor wallet for that you store in your backyard. You know, there's a natural limit to what percentage of the world is gonna engage with any asset that way. And, and I think 
the story for Bitcoin now becomes it's a digitally scarce store of value that you can hold safely in many ways. You can take an investment view on it and engage with it through a fund. You can hold some of your cash reserves in, in, in PayPal alongside of it. Um, you can trade it. Um, you can speculate. So there's all these different um, ways. And I think that's just, like I said, it's so early. Uh, you know, the, the plug-in is, is, is as important for the actual buying of Bitcoin as it is for the overall story of where Bitcoin sits in the world and the credibility of Bitcoin as a macro asset. Clearly, I mean, this is, this is a major domino to fall, you know, in terms of that widespread Bitcoin acceptance. So um, what comes next? Yeah, well, this is a big one. Um, it reflects clearly a, a broader awakening of tech companies to Bitcoin um, specifically and, and crypto more broadly. Um, what's interesting uh, as, as Galaxy thinks about this is that you've, you've seen before this, already two tech companies, MicroStrategy and Square, purchased Bitcoin on balance sheet alongside USD and their treasuries, uh, which is obviously a huge market. We expect that corporate treasury trend and market to continue in terms of what's next. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this accelerates the thinking of the big bank platforms, uh, for instance, in bolting on uh, something like a Bitcoin fund offering to allow their wealth clients to participate. Um, the US wealth market's a huge one. We continue to see end client demand from folks who read about things like a PayPal announcement and ponder uh, what seems now to be an inevitability of Bitcoin's adoption. And I think more broadly, uh, you know, as I reflect on the banking piece, um, the banking system is evolving quickly. And I, I think the banks are going to be forced on the back of something like this to respond with and engage with digitally native assets of all kinds or else they're gonna relinquish their hold on the financial system to traditionally tech-oriented players, um, Square, PayPal, Facebook, and all of their Chinese rivals, of course. Um, when you have the banking system, the traditional banking system fighting the technology companies to capture where this market is headed, the result is clearly uh, market cap growth of the space. So I, I think that's the bigger picture. So, all right. So, so Based on what you're saying with, with, with the banks, um, for our financial advisor listeners, what should they be telling their clients right now? I mean, is PayPal the right place for a wealthy client to buy Bitcoin? Well, first and foremost, um, I think this this signals to FAs that, uh, and we, we've said this, so I, I, if, I'm, if I'm repeating myself too much, I apologize, but, but you can't afford to be ignorant on the space. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, this is bigger than Bitcoin and it's bigger than crypto. And so FAs need and, and their clients need to be educated on Bitcoin and crypto, but also digital central bank currencies, payments, stable coins, and the PayPal news hammers that home. Um, in terms of making an allocation to Bitcoin through PayPal, there's, there's nuance like anything. It is, is going to be easy, which is great, um, but there's drawbacks as well in terms of, in terms of picking your spots. Um, you know, the, the, crypto, uh, the, 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 the crypto evangelist will tell you, you don't own your underlying Bitcoin if you do it through pay, PayPal, but rather you own it through this closed system that lives within PayPal. And so in a way that's antithetical to Bitcoin if you're a true believer. Um, from our seat, Galaxy views Bitcoin as a longer term investment. Uh, I think that merits more thoughtful asset allocation work. Um, for that reason, you know, if you're putting 1% of your wealth into it, uh, a fund still makes sense for a variety of reasons. You know, you, you own the asset. Um, it's sort of held alongside your, your other assets. You've got your tax reporting. Um, 
you know, service providers holding, holding crypto in cold storage, as opposed to in some derivative form in a closed system with PayPal. So, so nothing against PayPal uh, in terms of uh, the move. Uh, it's more a question of, of how do you want to uh, approach an asset like that and, and engage with it. And I think a fund makes a lot of sense, um, especially if you're thinking about it from a top-down asset allocation perspective, as opposed to I'm going to go buy $100 of Bitcoin because it's fun to do that now that PayPal has that. You can do that as well, but, but that's not... Um, that's not how you really address it from the investment decision and execution perspective is my sense. So if, uh, if an FA has a client who began, you know, building up an, an account on cash app or, 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 or Coinbase or, or now, you know, a PayPal and they get to a point where they've amassed a bit of it and they're no longer comfortable with it sitting there. What should, how, how does that FA guide the client uh, what, what's the right next step for that person? Yeah, I, th I think I think looking into fund offerings makes a lot of sense. I, I think most most people should not be um, holding Bitcoin uh, on an exchange, which something like a Coinbase is. Most people shouldn't be trading Bitcoin. I, I think the PayPal news hammers how big how big of a secular three to five year macro thematic investment it can be. But I think most should still be investing through a a, a professional staying educated on a, on a very rapidly growing space uh, and actually owning the asset on a one-to-one -one basis. Those are, those are really important concepts. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're engaging your FA on this uh, and if it plugs in with everything else, uh, one of the benefits of that is you know, you're, you're gonna actually have some guidance in terms of what's happening six, 12, 18 months down the road. Um, you know, we, we have a view that Bitcoin is, is in the leader of the store of value lane, but there are certainly going to be competitors. Um, we don't know how the value propositions of some of the payment networks are going to work out. Um, and you don't want to, you don't want to just be sort of, uh, dumbly speculating on, uh, yesterday's story when you're sitting there holding, uh, you know, Bitcoin in, in six or 12 months. So I, I do think because it's volatile and it's still early, it merits, uh, a discussion with an FA. And I think an FA should be looking to, plug in with, with structures that kind of provide some, um, some, some comfort uh, for their clients and in terms of the, uh, the custody asset in particular. Uh, and that probably looks like a fund. Sure. All right. I want to get back to something that you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, one of the, one significant difference about PayPal's announcement uh, when compared to, um, for, you know, Square's Cash App, for instance, is that PayPal will also allow users to buy and sell Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. Now, talk about how this is going to affect the, the, the broader digital currency marketplace. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think a lot of us were really excited about um, the fact that PayPal, unlike others in the space, went beyond Bitcoin. And I think even outside of crypto, uh, I've alluded to this earlier in our conversation, but this is big news for payments. And remember, payments is, you know, 30, 38% or something of global banking revenue. I think it was $2 trillion in 2019. So this is, this is a very big global market. And um, what's interesting about the broader crypto story as it relates to payment networks is is that crypto is enhancing to the payment networks because cryptos behave more like cash than legacy electronic payment rails, right? These are digital bearer assets. So you can exchange value, actual value, not just derivatives of value, not just numbers on a screen. That's interesting for the developing world. 
Um, it's interesting if you believe in dollar backed crypto rails, this is a great way for other parts of the world, really anyone um, with an internet connection to access USD, which is, which is unique and, and different. Um, so on some level, it's, it's the singularity of crypto and blockchain technology uh, coming into the existing rails that's really exciting. Um, and and I, like I said earlier, the, the COVID stuff really made everyone snap out of it and recognize that legacy payment rails are antiquated. Um, and so uh, unlike financial services, these companies like uh, Square and, and Facebook and PayPal, they realize you need to evolve or die. If you look at what Netflix did um, you know, to get out of the DVD business and very aggressively cannibalize its own market to get into streaming, um, that, was a, that was a very uh, bold and courageous move given what was happening at the time for Netflix's legacy business. There's a culture of that approach in, in Silicon Valley, which is actually the opposite of how big banks think about this. And so I, I'm getting a little bit away from your crypto question, but the point I really want to hammer is that um, the, the large native tech companies understand that crypto is a part of payments and that the singularity of payments, crypto, uh, and these, these networks, uh, these tech networks with retail banking is a very, very big secular story. And so from that perspective, once you've accepted that, who cares if it's you know, one or five or 10 cryptos? You, you, of course you wanna have Ethereum on there. That's the global supercomputer. Of course you want faster versions of Bitcoin and Litecoin and, and Bitcoin Cash on, uh, on these rails as well. You're gonna have stable coins on these rails as well. So if you had a dollar backed stable coin, uh, that would be just as easy, easy to fungibly uh, ex exchange value as, as other digital assets. And so what's exciting is um, digital assets sitting on payment rails uh, includes Bitcoin, it includes Litecoin and others, as you mentioned, but it's also going to include all these others. And those are just going to be fungible with each other in a way that allows for, uh, you know, fractional, seamless, frictionless transactions. Um, and that's going to change the world. And, and that's a really cool thing to, to start happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really, it, it sounds like from the user's perspective that, you know, you may ultimately be agnostic about, you know, what currency you're, you're, you're buying your pizza in, um, <laughs> you know, so long as it's, uh, you know, it's quickly transferring, you know, money from your account to someone else's. Well, that's right. And, and we don't know, uh, you know, we don't know how everyone's going to engage with this, but you do know when you look at um, ICE's subsidiary Bact, who's been building rails uh, uh, on the payment side for digital assets, uh, you know, there's a reason they acquired a loyalty points program. Fungibility of Delta miles to uh, Bitcoin to US dollars to stablecoin makes all the sense in the world. Um, and and it's, it's a much more scalable infrastructure. Uh, you're starting from scratch, so you don't have some of the legacy tech and scalability issues. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a more efficient system that the world will then go build on top of and utilize in, in all kinds of different ways um, that, that I don't think anyone's smart enough to really define clearly. Um, but, but what is clear is, is how, uh, uh, how, how inevitable that path now is with ICE and PayPal and many others, uh, Facebook, uh, et cetera, now uh, pushing forward strategies with actual implementations and roadmaps behind them. And I, I honestly think the banks uh, are, are, are going to be feeling the most heat on the back of this um, for a variety of reasons. And their response to this 
will be both um, interesting and instructive to where the path for all of this is heading. Um, and, and also a, a real indication of, of, of where that model will, will land. There's a reason the market is, uh, if you compare uh, you know, PayPal to Citi uh, year to date, there's a reason there's a huge dispersion in the stock price moves of those companies. Uh, and this is just, this news is just another sort of reflection of that um, and, and how much wood has to be chopped because um, it's a total mentality shift for the banks uh, to think like Netflix uh, and, and not like traditional banks. Sure. Um, all right, I have one last question I wanna squeeze in, but we are running out of time. Um, in the short term, where I mean, I, a lot of what we just spoke about is, is with a longer view towards where we're gonna end up. But in the short term, there are 300 plus million new users that are coming to you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, others. Um, many, if not most, if not almost all of whom have very little experience, don't necessarily know the difference between any of these, have some sort of a notion of, of what they are or what they're supposed to be. Um, and you're talking about different currencies that, that do not, that, who, whose relative values are changing you know, minute to minute. Um, how, what is the appropriate way to educate uh, this user base to make sure that they're making safe and smart decisions? That's a great question. And it's evolving so rapidly. And it's another reason that, you know, FAs need to educate clients and clients need an FA to educate them because it is, it is moving like technology is moving and like, um, you know, the banks are not moving. Uh, the, the, this is all moving at warp speed. Um, I, I think, uh, there are there are multiple stories is the first thing to be aware of, and there are three in particular. There are more than three, but really three to focus on. One is Bitcoin as a store of value. One um, is Ethereum and and call it other cryptos, and one is stable coins. And I think um, the stable coins is easy. That's traditional units of currency on crypto rails. Um, we would expect most payment activity to to come through that vertical. Uh, when you saw Facebook come out with the news of, of Libra, you know, a year and a half ago, that's what they were talking about. They were really all they were saying, a stablecoin is just a digital wrapper that allows people to, in micro ways, trade effectively a money market fund that sits on top of, and I don't mean trade, I mean exchange uh, pieces of, of this token structure through WhatsApp. So if I want to send you uh, a couple of sense of value through WhatsApp. It's very easy to do that with a stable coin that has a dollar reserve behind it. So that's pretty straightforward. Bitcoin is becoming more straightforward. That's, that's digital gold. That's becoming a macro asset. The technology has ossified as we've discussed. And it, it's, just, it's just a modern internet version of digital gold that probably has room to run from a price perspective as the world wakes up to it, as millennials continue to buy it, as it plugs in in different ways in different places. And then the reason I put Ethereum slash other cryptos is that really Ethereum is the primary public blockchain for general use cases, including with stable coins, right? And so it's, it's sort of the base layer on which a lot of this other stuff can interact, whether it's the payments coins or whether it's decentralized finance. There's all these other pieces of the crypto ecosystem that are growing rapidly, but they really, uh, they really plug into Ethereum. So if, if I were starting today with, uh, with clients, I would start with Bitcoin. I would move to Ethereum as the base protocol for most, most of the exciting 
crypto activity. I would learn about stable coins in terms of how they allow for value uh, uh, that's based in underlying dollars or other stable assets to be exchanged via tech platforms. And then I would also keep an eye on digital central bank currencies. That's just a digitized crypto version of the Chinese renminbi or a digitized version of the US dollar. Or over the weekend, you saw the news of the EU moving forward. That's, that's, that's really an entirely different macro story, but that's related to these other things. So you're gonna to continue to see the lanes be defined more clearly as these types of announcements happen. But it's important to understand that one size doesn't fit all. The other currencies that uh, you mentioned that are on the PayPal uh, network, you know, may, may go away. They may not go away. That's okay. How, how, how those 300 million users engage with these things, how stable coins play versus Litecoin or something like that, that's for the market to decide. We've now opened up this entirely new user base and buyer base um, that's going to that's gonna sort of sort that out. And what's important for investors is to have at least that level view to understand, okay, where do I make a bet? When do I make a bet? And how do I make a bet? Steve, that's great. We're out of time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, you know, I think this, uh, I think this news is uh, is going to resonate for a really long time, and and I think the way we look at it will will evolve over time. Um, so thank you for for starting us off with with some really good thoughts on it. Thank you, Jonathan. Exciting. Absolutely, listeners. If this is your first time joining us, we hope you like what you heard. And if so, please uh, listen to all of our past episodes anytime you want. You can find them on FAIQ or your favorite podcast player. We will be back in two weeks with Steve and Howard Coleman, the CIO of Coldstream Wealth Management, discussing hedging strategies. This podcast is a production of Financial Advisor IQ, a service of the Financial Times, and we're brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. My name is Jonathan Bronstein, and I produced and edited this podcast. Our music is written and performed by Oliver Mack. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.